The nail in the coffin! everyone, welcome to episode number five of The Nail in the Coffin, a Cleveland sports podcast. I'm Tom Valentino, and I am joined, as always, by the one and only Travis Uli. Trav, how are you, sir? Fantastic. Good evening. All right. So we are recording on Wednesday night, and this week we're going to talk about Ohio State's big game coming up on Saturday, uh, the college football playoff standings, and we'll get into some Cavs and NBA uh, first, though, a few friendly reminders. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. We do this about once a week. Just a uh, heads up that we will occasionally drop a four-letter word every now and then, so you've been warned. Uh, all of our episodes are available at nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. But if you're listening on your phone, the best way to catch us is by subscribing to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like the podcast, share a link on Facebook or retweet us on Twitter and help us spread the word. All right, so big game for the Buckeyes this weekend, Trev. Uh, finally, Michigan State coming into Columbus. How are you feeling about it? I'm excited. Uh, obviously, the whole season's been kind of kind of what we're seeing with the Cavs. Obviously, it'll last a little longer for the Cavs, but sort of just sleepwalking, um, not really taking things super seriously i was sitting watching last week and they're just sleepwalking they're not they're, they're if, if they have any aces they've none of them have even come close to coming out of their sleeves yet at this point um it'll be interesting to see if they need to i was surprised the line was so high at 13 but it seems like that's kind of the national perception right now yeah i thought that was really crazy i'm glad you mentioned the line uh 13 points over under at 52 and a half. I just looked it up before we started recording here. A couple of really interesting numbers about that for Ohio State. First off, they are four and six against the spread this year and just one and five at home. And they've only gone over the over under number two out of their 10 games and just one out of six at home. So having. I think that's, I think that's a, a little misleading because a couple of those lines at the beginning of the season were huge. So, I, I mean, yeah, they're against inferior opponents, but I think looking at an overall record and something like that, it's it's a little misleading, don't you think? Probably. I think Ohio State's one of those uh, teams that you would hear in the betting community called a public team just because they've got a huge following and a lot of casual fans will tend to jump on board when they want to bet and it might inflate the line towards one team uh, more than the other you see that in the nfl a lot with the packers and the cowboys and i'm sure there are other big name college programs like notre dame that get that benefit of the doubt i'm sure alabama gets it too so it's probably moving it a little bit more than necessary but yeah even still like i i mean just regardless of any of that stuff this is a huge game and michigan state let's not forget i still think they're in the mix for a playoff spot here if they can win out, I mean, you have to think that you have to think so. I'm not sure. We, I feel like we touch on it every week. On it, still seems like probably the Pac-12 is the odd team out. Sure. Um, Michigan State would have to kind of put. They'd kind of have to make a statement though in that championship game. I think beating Ohio State would obviously be 
uh, a big deal for them. It'd be very beneficial in terms of their overall resume, but I'm not sure just winning out is enough because I think um, a Stanford or Notre Dame would stay ahead of them if they looked convincing and won out at Michigan State's last game. I think it's Penn State, so they can't really make too much of a statement there. They'd have to look. It, they might be in a, a similar situation to Ohio State last year where they have to put an ass-whipping on Iowa in the championship game to get in there. Which some people would tell you is entirely capable of happening. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. <laughs> but I, I just I think if you would, you would look at their resume, I think if you look at their resume, they would have at that point wins over Michigan, Although under some dubious circumstances, they would have a win over Ohio State, and they would have a win probably over Iowa. That's going to be pretty tough to top. It'll so, be interesting to see how that Oregon win looks too later in the season. Yeah, I mean at the time I mean, that was early. Looked, that was week two, and yeah. Oregon obviously took a slide a couple weeks after that. But I've heard some people throw their names back out as another team that's still, still noteworthy. At least I don't think they're in the hunt for a playoff spot, but they're not the the pushover that they looked like for a couple weeks immediately after that game. Yeah. The, the lack, uh, uh, I think last weekend really kind of doomed the PAC 12 for getting in. I know there's kind of the half-hearted case for Stanford. Um, and I suppose stranger things have happened in college football, but especially with Notre Dame, not, um, being in a conference and kind of having they're almost like a sixth conference under themselves and with having them in the mix and then you've got four other power conferences in the mix I think the Pac-12 is just really kind of doomed here so I I, I, but you don't think you don't think Stanford beating Notre Dame and then I think it's probably between Utah and USC at this point I'm not totally sure I'd have to look at the Pac-12 but um, you don't think Stanford beating those two teams at the end of the season would help put them ahead? Because it would absolutely knock out Notre Dame and open up that spot. You think a Pac-12 t- or a Big 12 team jumps ahead of them at that point? Um, Remember, Big 12's off that last week. Yeah, that's true. It's, I mean, I, it, I think honestly, I think if if, a, if one of those two Big 12 teams wins out, um, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, even maybe, eh, probably not Baylor at this point, but even Baylor maybe, I think they have to get in. You got to think if Oklahoma beats Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma State to finish the season, that's I mean that's three wins that are as good as any that anybody else has, and they're in the last three weeks of the season. They'd have probably Ohio State thing going where they're playing their best ball right at the end of the season. Oklahoma, you're talking about, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I th- so I mean, I th- I think the the Big Twelve right now they're probably out. I mean, they're, obviously they're out in the rankings, but I think they might even be the odd conference out. But they definitely have the most opportunity, I think, to play their way back in. That was that, okay. So that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. We've got what three weeks left here in the regular season. So you got the the two regular season weeks and the conference championship games. And I think there's like one Big Twelve game going on. During that, I think Baylor, uh, Texas is that week. Yeah, it, it's some. it's not a full slate in the in the Big Twelve. I don't right. think. Well, but, I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think are both off. But yeah, so like basically, there's three weeks, two full weeks of games, and then a third week before we get into the the final pairings for all the bowl games and the playoff. 
we've got right now, we're looking at Clemson 1, Bama 2, Ohio State 3, Notre Dame 4, and those have been kind of the four that have held, I think, the last two weeks now. In your mind, what is the most likely scenario for a shakeup of those four, or do you think those four are going to hold up all the way through? Um, Truthfully, I... It wouldn't surprise me at all. This this might sound a little strange, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if Clemson fell to North Carolina in the ACC championship game. I think North Carolina's defense is playing incredibly well, and I personally don't. I'm not not in love with Clemson. I don't think they're as great as people think they are. I'd be shocked if Bama loses a game. Um, the way that they're playing right now um, overall has been incredibly impressive. I'm, I didn't think honestly didn't think they had it in them after they got knocked off by Ole Miss early in the season. So I didn't think – I thought they were done at that point. I thought they'd probably lose at least one, maybe two more. Um, yeah. They, they, they'll they struggle to cover the line this week, which is probably about 60 <laughs> uh, in the, the annual uh, second-to-last week of absolute garbage that the SEC puts on their schedule. Yeah, what is that? Like every other conference, it seems like, is going out of its way to backload their schedule – with big matchups towards the end to try to build up their resumes late in the season. I think the big 12 was really trying to do that after they got left out last year, Ohio state, you see they've got their marquee matchups at the end of the season. And the sec has still got this weird scenario with these uh, cream puff games, the second to last week of the year, just so weird. It's, I mean, it's horrible. It's kind of embarrassing, honestly. Um, I know in the past, uh, they've they've called it out on on TV, which is surprising because they never really call it anything against the SEC. <laughs> um, but they have pointed out, like, hey, this is a semi important schedule for you know most conferences, and you guys are scheduling absolute trash. Um, a quick rundown of teams that the SEC plays this week: Florida will be going up against Florida Atlantic. South Carolina is hosting the Citadel. Uh, Auburn has Idaho, Alabama has Charleston Southern, Georgia has Georgia Southern, and Kentucky plays Charlotte. And there's actually a couple SEC matchups uh, shuffled in there. But I think when you have these teams like Alabama, um, Florida, these teams who save their big rivalry for the last game of the year, I, I hate to say it because I don't truly think that Alabama is that scared but they don't want to look ahead. They want to have that security where they can 100% look ahead to next week and still beat Charleston Southern by 30 points. Oh, yeah. I mean, they but got... If you put if you put, like, a Tennessee or even a mid-level SEC team on their schedule that's capable of catching them on an off day, taking them out, and all of a sudden the SEC is in, in jeopardy of missing out. Because yeah. if, if Auburn slips up, or if Bama, excuse me, if Bama slips up, they're they're on the outside looking in probably at this point. Yeah. So I, I think it is covering their asses, but I don't know. It's, 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 it's garbage. I think it's pretty ridiculous. I understand you have spaces on your uh, schedule you need to fill. Um, but there's only one conference that seems to always have a bunch of shitty openings on their schedule last second to last week of the season. I mean, those, to be fair, those non-conference games are scheduled years in advance. So I'm guessing that most of those matchups and, and the dates on them are scheduled that far in advance as well because those teams have to go fill out the rest of their schedules with everybody else. They're, they're, they're playing. I think, I mean, 
I don't know. I nobody else seems to have a, tr- a problem with it. I just no wonder. One, if... No one else seems to be able to. Uh, seems to have to force those into the end of their season. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if that's going to start getting phased out now that they see what other conferences are doing and and well, those commitments get get finished up and maybe going forward as they book more games in the future they start taking on a, a more traditional model. Yeah, I mean until until anyone actually holds the SEC to like and and kind of makes them prove it, there's no there's no harm in it. They don't need to. They'll yeah. continue to get the benefit of the doubt. That's what they've gotten for the last several years. And I mean, rightfully at times and other times, I think it's kind of been a bit much. Um, but they don't need to, so they don't. And I, I mean, I can't blame them for that. I think it's a joke, but it's not going to cost them in the long run. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at a team like Ohio State, everyone's been crushing them for their schedule, but they're going to play, they might have the the best best slash worst, depending on how you look at it, the most challenging three-game slate at the end of the season here of anybody in the country. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you got back to the Buckeyes here because I wanted to ask you, I I think they've kind of taken a little bit of flack for their schedule up to this point, although I don't really think that's their fault. Um, So, I mean, really, at the end of the day, we said back in August – that their whole season was going to come down to the two games at the end of the regular season and the conference championship if they were playing in it. And that's exactly how it's played out. And I think Michigan, looking ahead to next week a little bit, I think they're a little bit better this year in their first year under Harbaugh than I thought they were going to be. I thought this was a year away from them uh, getting into the conversation at all. So they're going to get a a nice – challenge there next week and Michigan State is right back in the mix again uh, this week so uh, how are you feeling about the Buckeyes chances with quote-unquote the real regular season starting now um I I don't know maybe maybe I'm over arrogant which wouldn't be the first time when it comes to Ohio State um they've got far more talent and they have the best coach I think in the country if not the best, the, probably the second best. I think Saban's probably the only one that can even make a claim to that. Um, I feel entirely confident. I like De- I like D'Antonio a lot as a coach. I don't think they have – I just don't think they have the horses. Um, they could potentially, I think, put together a plan that would slow Ohio State down a little bit. But Ohio State's that team that they're going to wear you down. Eventually, Zeke Elliott's going to go off on you. He's going to get – he's going to break that 50-yard run that – that uh, puts you to sleep. Um, JT obviously coming in, I think, is exactly what they needed because the offense just runs so much more efficiently. And you saw what he did last year against Michigan State. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that Michigan. I think Michigan State's worse than last year. I've heard some people say that they're probably better, but I don't think people really understand how good Langford was last year. Um, I don't know that their defense has improved at all. They may have another year under their belt, but. I don't know that that always necessarily means you're better. Um, and they've had some close calls this year. And the the high profile one was the one against Michigan, and they obviously lost the game against Nebraska. But they had another one. I think it was against Indiana, maybe or or no, no Rutgers, where uh, the Rutgers QB grounded uh, the ball to stop the clock on fourth down in the final seconds, which 
was a disaster, but right. th- they've been kind of flirting with it all year. It's not like they've been a wrecking machine just waiting to get to Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I think they only beat Purdue by three points or maybe a touchdown. They were That was a really close game, and Purdue might be like one of the four or five worst big five teams in the country. Um, they're horrible. Um, but, yeah, I don't – I don't know. I've, I, I, I have a hard time judging them because I like their coach. I like their quarterback a lot. And if it were my team, I would probably say the same thing I'm saying for Ohio State, which is, yeah, they're just kind of cruising right now. They haven't needed to do that stuff yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they have – I don't think they have the athletes. Uh, Burbage, the wide receiver, is really good. But other than that – I don't know if they have anyone that really worries me or scares me. So I don't know. I, I, I liked it. Like I said, I liked Antonio a lot, so I'm hesitant to count them out, but overall they don't really scare me. I honestly think if you told me Ohio state last year, Ohio state versus Michigan state, if it was a 13 point line, I would say that's way too much this year. It kind of seems about right. And I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they flew past that. Um, it, it's the one thing that does kind of worry me is I could see this being one of those games where they jump out to like twenty-one-three type lead or something at halftime, and just kind of grind out the second half and let Michigan State get back in it. Um, I hope that's not the case, but right now a win's a win, so I, I feel entirely confident. See, I'd be kind of surprised if they jumped out ahead early, just given Ohio State's M.O. It seems like they're one of those teams that can just pound you, especially with Zeke coming out of the backfield and really start to put teams away and pull away in the second half. And I feel like if they were to actually cover that 13, I I could see it being a little bit closer in the first half and then just kind of accelerating and, and that relentless offensive onslaught just finally creating the separation so to speak and and at that point then they take control yeah i mean it it wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't surprise me i don't want to say that that would shock me um if that were the case just sort of the way i see it going i see them i see them passing the ball um early and often in this game um most of the first half i i sort of I wouldn't be surprised if you get to halftime and Zeke Elliott has like six or seven carries. Mm-hmm. Um, and JT has just been terribly efficient, spreading the ball all over the place. And then in the second half, Zeke gets his, goes off, wears him down. The defensive line is tired. The offensive line, I will say the offensive line for Ohio State has been spotty at times, but at the end of games, they seem to show up. They seem to, I don't think it's just Zeke that, finding those holes you know what I mean I think mm-hmm. I think they do a great job of creating those and as the game goes on and the defensive lines wear down the offensive line stands up a little bit more so I wouldn't be surprised either way sort of the way I see it going though is them probably getting a couple quick hits because they like we've said every time they get kind of bored when it's boring and they play really well and they always seem to show up when the lights are on so I expect that second, that that uh, the latter to happen, where they come into the the horseshoe. The crowd's going to be electric. The crowd's going to be fantastic. Hopefully, it doesn't get rained, uh, rained out too much, where the crowd dies down. It is supposed to be fifty-ish uh, and mm-hmm. rainy, 
at around game time at three o'clock. So that I think that could take a little wind out of the sails of both the crowd and the offense. But um, I expect them to come out firing all cylinders. I'm a little surprised this game wasn't scheduled for prime time. Um, I did some digging on this and, and why that might be because yeah, I saw some crazy Big Ten rules about when they have to be scheduled, especially in November. Yeah, so the Big Ten, up until I think a year or two ago, had no primetime games in November, and they finally loosened that up a little bit. But the way it works now is there's flexibility. There's basically three time slots for Big Ten games. It's either at noon, 12, 3.30, or 8. 3.30 or 8 o'clock. And there's flexibility in moving games around for TV purposes between noon and 3.30. But if you want to have the game in primetime, it's got to be set like months in advance i think like they declare those back in even like may or june and for whatever reason this one they didn't do that which i was really surprised by because if you look at some of the other ohio state games that have been put in prime time this year against some really terrible big 10 teams you knew this one was going to be huge why they didn't do that for this one i i, I don't really know i mean ohio state or, or i'm sorry uh espn's going to have their number one announcing team call in the game game day is going to be in columbus for the first time in five years so they're obviously treating it as a big game but yeah it's going to be a good old-fashioned uh afternoon affair i personally like the 330 game as a fan i like it more um i definitely i enjoy the night game atmosphere but I'm going down to Columbus. I don't mm-hmm. like I don't like having to find something to do for ten hours because that yeah. thing I find to do is drink a lot of beer, and <laughs> I am tired by the time eight o'clock comes around. P- possibly belligerent as well. So <laughs> personally, I'm I'm 100 on board with three thirty. Like it's your friend, uh, John, like Johnny Football fan down uh, in Cincinnati. Johnny Football, yeah, I'll be pounding Stella's, hanging with coeds all weekend. Oh boy, oh, easy now. Get out of here, but um. <laughs> But no, I, I'm fine with 3:30. I kind of like it actually. Um, but it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Like I said, if we get up big, we being Ohio State. Yes, no, I'm not on the team. But if Ohio State gets up big, or if it's a game that they really have to grind out at the end of it, um, either way, if you get into the fourth quarter and it's a, it's a close game. You have to like Ohio State in that situation. They have the horses. They're at home. They have the better coach, and they have the better players. Like, there's, I saw some guy. I think it was Joe Shad that I tweeted. Like, um, it was kind of funny actually. He tweeted, "Hey, I talked to three coaches who played against three head coaches who played against Michigan, Ohio, uh, Michigan State, and Ohio State this year." And here's what they said. And he said it like kind of cryptically, like, oh, these two mystery coaches. But there's only three common opponents, so everyone knows who the coaches are, which is kind of yeah. funny. But, <laughs> but, but every coach was like, yeah, Ohio State's just a different animal. They have more talent. The coaching's probably slightly better. They're just a different – they're a level above everyone else, which I think we knew. That's right. not surprising to anyone. Um, Michigan State's got a couple guys – that can really disrupt things, that can really be dominant. Ohio State's entire, like, too deep can do that. Well, let me you ask you about one, one guy, the other guy can come in and do it. So, One, one of those big playmakers for Michigan, uh, or Michigan State, I'm sorry, uh, that you mentioned that you liked earlier, their quarterback, Connor Cook. I am a big Connor Cook fan, and if I had my way, he would be the Browns quarterback next year. 
um, out of all the QB prospects that I've watched play this year in college, he's been my favorite. And he got dinged up last week. Do we know is he's definitely playing against Ohio State? Do we know if he's going to be a hundred percent, or are they saying that he's going to be kind of limited? Um, they're not saying anything. Um, yeah. It's funny actually. This week, they uh, D'Antonio was getting a little cheeky in the uh, in the presser. It was actually funny. They asked him at one point. They said. To, not to sidetrack here, but they said to him that the reporter open, starts the question with, um, he says, you know, usually the rivalry talker in this in this region is Ohio State versus Michigan, with good reason. And he said, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, that's not a good reason. And he was staring deadpan, and you know, he was he was kind of joking, but he's also kind of serious. Like, hey, we've been good for several years now. Yeah, but uh. In the same press conference, the guy said, uh, just to be clear, uh, is Connor Cook, you know, ready to play? Is he 100%? Sort of what you just asked. I don't remember his exact wording. But he said, just to be clear, you know, what's what's the deal with Connor Cook? And Dino goes, just to be clear, we don't talk about injuries. They just moved on to the next question. Okay, so, that's that. <laughs> so, so, and I, I, like, I love Dino. I think he's awesome. Um, I'm glad he's in the conference, and I think he'll be here for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I got to think that – I think there's zero chance he's 100%. You wouldn't have pulled him in that game last week if he was 100%. Yeah, um, the only thing I could be thinking there is that they knew if they were to have any shot in hell against Ohio State, they needed to have him functional. So kind of like what the Steelers were trying to sneak through the Browns game without having to play Big Ben, I was thinking maybe they were trying to avoid – subjecting Connor Cook to further injury by getting him out of there last week, but... I mean, that's possible. I don't... It, 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 probably some of that went into it, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, because it was, what, Maryland? They're garbage. No one... Who cares? Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I got to think if you get pulled that early in the game like he did, it's because you're hurt. It's yeah. not something that you're going to you're not going to be a hundred percent unless most people aren't a hundred percent at this point in the season anyways. So you hear that every year, like, yeah, everybody's hurt, but when it's a throwing shoulder for a quarterback who isn't much of a runner, that's a pretty big deal. So, I mean, like, yeah, I like Connor Cook too. I'm with you. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset if uh, he was in Brown and orange next year, but they've only really got one threat on the whole team anyways. Mm-hmm. And I think Ohio state, if, if they keep uh, Eli Apple on Burbridge and kind of close him down and probably have to give, maybe give safety help or whatever the case is. But if they can neutralize Burbridge, cause he's really the only guy that can beat him. I think he's got, a, I think he has a thousand yards by now, which is pretty incredible. Um, considering I don't think they have much else in terms of offense. They don't I think their leading rusher is probably right around four to five hundred yards, like nothing crazy. They have sort of a running back by committee thing in place. Um I just I don't know. If you close down Burbridge, I don't think they have anyone else that can beat you. And if he can't sit back in the pocket, that's the other thing, is Ohio State can get pressure. Far more than anyone he's played this year definitely yeah. far more than Michigan, you know. Um, when you have the the way that Bosa and Adolphus Washington have been playing, 
as well as uh, Taekwon Lewis, who probably a name most people didn't even know at the beginning of the year. The way that they're getting at the quarterback, I don't... he might start the game healthy. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he doesn't finish it healthy. Yeah, just talking about that Ohio State defensive line, I think with all the attention that's being paid to Joey Bosa this year, and for good reason, it's kind of created some opportunities for the other guys on on that defensive uh, front, and they're taking advantage of it. Oh yeah, it's funny they showed it. They showed a, a couple times last week. He's getting like blatantly triple teamed. Like he's not filling up the stat sheet. I think right. he's still got uh, nine or ten sacks, which is no small feat considering he missed two games too. But he's not filling up the stat sheet. But they're triple teaming him every time. And I don't think it's a fluke that Adolphus Washington is having his best season. And this guy, Tyquan Lewis, that no one has heard of before, is getting to the quarterback with pretty decent amount of success. So, and, and you look at the, how deep that line is, the way they can just rotate guys in and out. I have a hard time thinking that that Michigan State uh, O-line is going to hold up fairly well against them. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I, I mean, I've been just kind of sitting here waiting for Ohio State to get to this uh, this gauntlet here at the end of the season. You and everybody all, else. All year. And it, it, it's fun to actually finally have it here and have games that we can get really excited for and and have a little bit of suspense and, and, and know there's a good opponent on the other sideline and finally get through all the, the garbage that the, we had to sit through for the last 10 weeks or whatever. So Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of excited to – potentially shut everybody up till I'm sick of hearing about how they don't play well and you know they're they're lollygagging and they don't look hungry and all this this shit we hear every week yeah. I I think they play as well as they need to I don't think there's anything wrong with a team you know not I hate this might sound wrong but you don't need not going all out when you don't need to go all out you have you need to be at your best at the end of the season. It's yep. just like you see last year with the Cavs. You rest LeBron because you need him to be as good as he can be at the end of the season, and you want to have all that stuff in your pocket. If you have some stuff that you know is uh, you have a good chance of pulling off, uh, you don't want to ruin that uh, element of surprise by using that stuff against Maryland when you're up three touchdowns. Right. You know? So I don't. I don't have a problem with what they've done this year. I think probably people are underestimating them a little bit. And as we saw last year, that might be a good thing. Yeah. And I just, I think that's the whole thing. I know Ohio state fans are kind of tired of hearing a lot of that stuff from the national people. And with good reason, I think Ohio state deserves some benefit of the doubt after what they did last year and who they have back this year. And the fact that they're taking care of their business every week. And I just think ultimately, though, these are the games that everybody has circled. And when you get past these next three weeks, if they're still standing, nobody's going to be doubting them anymore. And if they get beat, then you know what? Then they go play in another bowl game or something, and and that's that. But I just I think that this we've been waiting all year to to see them really unleash the horses and. This is finally the week. Now that, it's time. Yep. Now it's time to do it. No and more talk. Yeah, I, I, I think they're going to. I, I think it's going to be a lot of, like, uh, holy shit, where'd this team come from? Because I think there have been a lot more compelling and, and up-and-down storylines 
this year throughout college football. And Ohio State's just kind of been quietly taking care of business and doing their thing. And I think it's time for them to kind of assert themselves. And Yeah, I think at the beginning of the season, everyone saw Ohio State has so much talent. Um, yep. And they saw what they did to Wisconsin, Bama, and Oregon. And we're like, oh, shit, this could be this could be something. Then they saw the way that they've done it, you know, the way that they've played this year so far, where they're kind of like, oh, okay, maybe this seems not really that good. I'm I'm really hoping that Ohio State puts the oh, shit face back on everybody this weekend and just says, oh, they're turning it on now. This could be ugly for us. Um, for Alabama, I think, is probably the only team that top to bottom would even really have a chance if – both teams play up up to their talent, play up to their potential. I think Alabama's the only one that's even in the conversation. I don't think their quarterback's good enough. Um, obviously, that, that would require that everyone plays as well as they can, but I think it'll be interesting. It would be kind of funny. I was thinking this today with Alabama playing, uh, who did I say it was, Charleston Southern or whoever the hell. Yeah. Um, if Ohio State has an impressive win and, and Bama schedules this garbage team, if if the uh, playoff committee kind of sent a message and said, hey, we're going to drop you guys a, a spot, I don't think it'll happen. But if they said, hey, you can't keep scheduling this trash second to last week of the season. <laughs> and I think dropping them from two to three, while the, the impact would be minimal in terms of how it actually affects their season, it could send, I think it could send a message like, hey, step it up a little bit. Schedule those early in the season or make it a better opponent. Yeah, and just to be clear, functionally being the number two seed in the playoff versus the number three seed, literally it's the only literally the only nothing. difference that the the only difference that makes is whether you're wearing your color oh, jersey exactly. or your white jersey for the the game. And if Ohio because, State played Alabama, Ohio State would wear white again anyways. I think so. It wouldn't yeah. make a difference in that case. Yeah, so like they're gonna they're gonna seed uh, they're gonna put the number one seeded team at the semifinal location that's closest to them. So that would leave two and three to play at whatever the leftover one is anyway. So my guess is they'll probably, if things would hold to form in Ohio State and Bama are two and three, they're going to probably go play in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl as a semi. And Clemson and whoever's four would get uh, the Orange Bowl. So, yeah, that that would be a fun little uh, twist of the knife if Ohio State jumped over Bama this week because of exactly what you said. I think it's one of those things where it it wouldn't necessarily have an impact, and if Bama looked really good against Auburn, they might pass them the following week. Um, But I think it's a good way to kind of send that message, like, hey, we are looking at who you play. Yep. Your 60 to nothing win over, I don't know, Little Sisters of the Poor to steal a line from Gordon Gee. Uh, (laughs) It's not going to cut anymore. Right. (laughs) I love it. The fantastic bow tie. Um, I think it would send a good message. And they've said that all along that we look at these things. If they actually like, you know, backed it up and showed that they do, I think it would, I think it'd be, I don't know if you'd see it it change immediately. Um, but it would, it would send a good message. I think that, Hey, this, this isn't okay. I mean, come on. It's week 12. Step your game up a little bit. (laughs) All right. Well, I am looking forward to that. Um, other things I am looking forward to. I am looking forward to the Cavs getting home tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night, playing the Bucks national TV game, TNT, uh, breaking out the old school 70s uniforms for a hardwood classic night. And uh, Cavs need to get right because 
These last couple have not looked real great. Any thoughts on what you've seen in these last two road games at Milwaukee over the weekend and then at Detroit on Tuesday night? I didn't hate the overtime loss to Milwaukee. Of course, it's disappointing because they were on a little streak there, but I didn't hate it. It was the second game of back-to-back. They played them tough, um, took it to overtime. Double overtime. Double overtime. There you go. Yeah. Um, And – I mean, you're just going to have those sometimes. They ran out of gas on the road. That's sort of the way the NBA works. You can usually pick those games out. I don't know if you would have picked Milwaukee necessarily in that case, but I don't know. I watched the game, and I didn't I didn't come away from it, like, pissed off. Last night, on the other hand, that's that's frustrating to me. They, they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and just completely folded. Um. LeBron said it after the game, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with what he said about them not uh, not working hard enough. But he said they're not tough enough, and it's hard to disagree with that. Yeah. I, it, well, the, the the comment from LeBron was that I think that one about not not being tough enough like they were last year. That one came from Blatt, and I kind of agree with that just because they have this lackadaisical look to them at times, and just some of the mental mistakes with missing free throws and just the defensive breakdowns. I mean, they just got absolutely abused last night on the pick and roll. Really quick, uh, really just, quick. Has, yeah. Has LeBron's, like, has he always been this bad at free throws? No, this is a career worst. Okay. He's, cause I, he's, cause I, I think for his career, say. yeah, I think for his career, he's about uh, 70 something in mid seventies, maybe was high seventies. Yeah. And I, like I heard a couple people say like, Oh, he's always been bad at free throws. I was like, he hasn't been that bad. He's not, I mean, he's not upper echelon in free throws. Yeah, he's he's not, been he's very, never gonna very average. The 90s. He'll be no. lucky to break 80, but mid high seventies was what I was used to. And someone was like, Oh, he's always been bad. I was like, he hasn't been this bad. No, he's like, no, he's around 60% right now. Right, and that's, I mean, you look at, I mean, Tristan's obviously terrible at free throws, and that's, that's the, you're just going to get that. That's not going to change. Um, but when the guy who always has the ball in his hands and seems to get to the basket a lot trying to draw contact, you got to make the free throws. That's going to yeah. kill you. Well, and it's becoming contagious too. And I think I saw yeah. somebody on Twitter today said that their three losses they've had this year, if they would have just made 70% of their free throws in those losses, if they'd have made 70% as a team, they'd be undefeated right now. Hell, yesterday, I think they missed six or seven in a row. Yeah. Yeah. That third quarter, they missed six in a row. That's, and ri- that's ridiculous. Yeah. So it just the, the pick and roll thing was really what drove me nuts. And I know. Blatt's trying to feel his way through the early part of the season and figure out what combinations work and which ones don't. I was really, really surprised that uh, Timo Mozgov played most of the fourth quarter against Detroit because we haven't seen him hardly at all in a fourth quarter in any of the uh, recent games before that. So all of a sudden, against Detroit, here he is, and the only reason I could think of that they would want him in there is to try to body up with Drummond. Well, yeah, that's great. Except Drummond still went for like 25 and 18. So like you, you 
you've got in the way that he was killing them was on this pick and roll with Reggie Jackson. So I, I love Mo Williams, and I think everything he's done trying to hold down the fort at the starting point guard position while Kyrie's on the mend has been great. But let's be honest, Mo Williams is a turnstile defensively. Mm-hmm. Mozgov can't defend a pick and roll. And Tristan Thompson, meanwhile, I know he's not a great scorer, but you're not paying him all that money to score. He rebounds the ball, and he's a really good defender in pick and roll situations for a big guy. Yeah, he so, showed us that yeah, last year in the playoffs. Yeah, so I understand that Drummond is way bigger than him, but it's not like that size was doing Mozgov any good, and they just kept running that same play over and over and over again. And finally, after like the fourth one of them, LeBron even like threw up his hands under the hoop looking at them like, what the hell are you guys doing? So I, I just like why they would keep running that combination out there and letting themselves get exposed to that over and over and over again down the stretch. I just, I didn't really understand that. So how hard did um, you laugh last night at the end of that game when uh, Timo got that ball eight feet out and clearly just deer in headlights? Like, oh, what the hell do I do with this thing? Uh, I, I guess I'll chuck it up there. And, and you went with the J.R. Smith, one in doubt, shoot. Oh, That's, my goodness. And, I'm okay with Jr. doing that, but not him. I don't know. You can't really get mad about an NBA player taking an eight-foot jump shot when he's wide open. You can't, I, you can't be that mad about it, especially the way that he got it. I think there's only four or five seconds left on the shot clock anyways after LeBron. No, there wasn't. There was like 15 sh- seconds left on the. That was early oh. in the shot clock. Yeah. That's, so you, that's why, like, I had a huge problem with that. They, like, Detroit so wants think, that shot. So you think in that case with him eight feet out, he stops and passes it back out and starts over? Yeah, they had time okay. to, to, to get right. a better look there. That, right. that, that was exactly what Detroit wanted out of that. So, I um. I don't know. I just I think overall in the bigger point I want to make here, and this kind of ties into what LeBron said after the game about them, just their attitude and the way they're carrying themselves. He said he's not happy with it because they lost the finals last year and the team that beat them in the finals last year has come out this year and um, yep. is playing playing hungry and, and just a death machine beating everybody in their path. And I have a couple of thoughts on this. Number one, before the season started, there was this whole narrative about the Warriors being this disrespected defending champion and how everybody's thinking that they just got lucky last year and that they're not going to win the title this year. Let's be clear. Right now, four weeks into the NBA season, I don't think anybody that follows the league closely is still saying that about the Warriors. I saw somebody, a, a very smart basketball person in the Northeast Ohio area, a high school coach uh, that I have a lot of respect for, who still threw out something to the effect of the Warriors not getting any respect. And I, I just, I think that's ludicrous at this point. Does he Warriors, not own, have a television or a radio? Yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't, All I I've think there were some ulterior. one is how good they are. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think there were some ulterior reasons why he said that, and, and it was, I don't want to get into all that, but I just, if you look at it right now, they're the odds-on favorite in Vegas to win the title. Every single media outlet nationally that covers the league and does power rankings every week has had them at number one for pretty much the entire season, and it's a nauseating experience on Twitter every night that they play with the amount of uh, fawning over them 
that you see from national writers and people who should have a little bit more respect for themselves. So this notion that the Warriors, I, I think they did a very good job of finding a way to manufacture a chip on their shoulder where there didn't necessarily need to be one with them coming off a title. They had every reason in the world to be fat and happy because they, they just won the championship and had a great run last year. And they knew that if they wanted to get back to it this year, they were going to need to to play pissed off, especially in that tough Western Conference. And credit to them for coming up with something in their own mind, even if it I don't think it's remotely true anymore. I don't think it lasts either. You maybe use no. If, and if it's you a were going to play season. that, if you were going to play that card, you don't use it the first month of the season. Anyone right. who, anyone who says that the Warriors aren't getting the, getting the credit they deserve or underrated just isn't paying attention. Yeah. Um, or like you said, has some other reason for saying it. Yeah. So the flip side of that whole deal is the Cavs and everything with them. I, I think they had every reason in the world. Um, you certainly could have made a case for like, oh, they, they got beat last year in the finals. They came so close to winning. They got to be super motivated. But really, I, I think everything about the way they've gone about it is understanding why they lost in the finals last year and really feeling like the whole reason that they came up two wins short was because their team was decimated by injuries. So everything about everything that they're doing, whether it was their disjointed trading camp, to what they're doing now as the season's gotten started. They're playing like these games right now don't matter as much. And everything about what they're doing is trying they're to get right. themselves they're trying to get themselves in position to be in peak form with everybody healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. And I don't have a problem with that. I just I, I think people get upset when they watch things like last night and and yeah, I got frustrated by last night's game too, but that's how games are going to look sometimes when you've got the mindset that we're not playing to win a championship in November. Yeah, I think you should you should come out of every single game this year. They're going to they're still going to win a lot of games. There's there's zero chance of them getting anything lower than maybe a 2 or 3 seed even. Um but your goal every game should be to prepare for the playoffs even now in November. It should be, what can we do today to improve that overall team chemistry, integrate these guys into whatever their role happens to be, make sure everyone knows what they should be doing so when the playoffs come five, six months down the road, everyone knows what they're supposed to do, and everyone has done it before, and the roles and responsibilities are clear across the board. And then, obviously, getting everyone motivated to do that job well. I don't think... Yeah, like you said, it was frustrating last night watching them squander that game. But if they learn from it, which that's a big if, that is a big if, they have to actually do it. They have to pay attention, see why that happened, and build off of it. Um, But if they do that, who cares that they lost to uh, Detroit on November 17th? You know what I mean? So it's frustrating. Like, yeah, like you said, is you're a fan, you just want to win every game. Um, but they need to, you, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we put a little too much on LeBron to do the coaching. Um, but guys need to know when they came in today, here's what you did wrong. Here's what we need to do going forward. 
Um, yeah. And I think these LeBron's are, these have to be pr- if you're going to lose, you, it's got to be a productive loss. Exactly. You, gotta, you have yeah. to. Yeah. You have to. I mean, you have to learn from every single game they lose, um, or it's wasted. I think uh, Blatt said that the other day, and I think he gets a lot of heat for no for no good reason, honestly. But he said every game every game is meaningful. The outcome of the game may not matter. Um, but I think, yes, every game you have to learn something from. Um, you have to remember why something happened or build off of it and, and learn from it and get better because of it. And if you don't, then, yeah, those games are wasted and they don't matter. But I think it's a fine line in getting those guys to really buy into that and do that. Well, here's what I think we learned in the Detroit game. Um, we do not want Timo and Mo guarding a pick and roll in any situation that matters. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fact too. Is that and that's 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 a good that's a good point. I don't know if you meant to make it, but yeah, the coach can learn something from that too in terms of yeah. plays and who should be in the game. You have to think late in the season. You'd have Kyrie out there instead. Um, I don't know that Kyrie is even much better than Mo on defense, but yeah, I mean I think everyone he's right now experimenting I, I, and needs to learn things from those. One of the other benefits, the things that one of the things that can help Kyrie is that he's really going to make opposing point guards work a lot harder on the offensive end, and I think yeah, that's true. So when he has the ball in his hands, and I know Mo's done a good job of getting some scoring punch, but it's a whole different level when you got Kyrie in there, and that can take a toll on an opposing player oh, yeah. uh, when they when out. they finally get the ball. So, you know, the other thing I was going to say that was productive from that Detroit game was J.R. Smith finally starting to show a little bit of what we saw from last year because I was starting to get the feeling watching some of these games through the first uh, few weeks that we're getting closer to Kyrie coming back. We're getting closer to Shumpert coming back. And I think everybody, the, the general consensus has been, well, Anthony Dellavedova is our third string point guard. So when uh, Kyrie comes back and, and, and Shumpert to a degree, it's just, Delhi goes to the back of the bench and that's that. And I don't really think that's going to be the case. And even with JR coming around more last night and finally starting to show some positive signs, knocking down some shots, I still, I think he's still going to get some of his minutes dinged when this lineup is at full strength. I don't, I didn't check it today, but I know going into that uh, Detroit game, if you look at the Cavs, different lineup combinations on basketball reference and again it's early we're only 10 or 11 games into the season four I think that four out of the top five five man combinations and all four of the top four man combinations in terms of point differential for the Cavs this year have involved Delhi. so he's really I mean he's doing good things out there um he's obviously he's got that little alley-oop play with Tristan that somehow opposing teams still haven't entirely figured out how to stop and I mean he's doing a lot of other good things out there and they're clearly performing well as a team so I just I think it's going to be a real interesting situation with how the minutes get doled out in the backcourt because don't forget the other thing I mean we saw it last year and I I think it, it made some people pull their hair out not really a problem for me but um, they, in terms of his loyalty, uh, Coach Blatt's loyalty to, to Delhi, um, 
and I think now that he's actually playing even better than he did during the regular season last year, I, I think that that's certainly going to uh, continue to be the case when they've got their full lineup. Yeah, I think Jr.'s. I mean, he spent the first he spent the season so far on a milk carton, and he he's going to have to earn minutes. He's not just going to get benefit, especially later in the season. He's got to show. Um, he's got to show uh, the coaches and and Le- I think LeBron to an extent. Even he's got to show everyone that you can trust me to be out there. Yeah. Um, I can I can I can make shots. I, I'm not going to be a liability on defense. And and so far before yesterday, he's been non-existent. When he's been on the floor, he's been a liability. So I think he's gonna he's got to make the most of those minutes. So they can have him on the floor because personally I think that he needs to be an effective player for them to go where they want to go. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I I think it'll be interesting just to see how that lineup shakes out because you can make the case. I mean, don't forget when he came over last year in the trade, Shumpert was coming back from the shoulder injury at that point. So Jr. was a starter and that was not originally supposed to be a long-term solution. And he ended up fitting into the starting lineup so well with, with Kyrie next to him at running the point that they ended up riding that out for a, a lot longer. And I'm kind of wondering if, if it's going to be Shumpert that just gets inserted into the starting lineup, or if they want to put, um, if they want to put Jr. in there and, and think that maybe he's going to start getting even more open looks keep when you involved. have, well, yeah, and when you keep Kyrie out there with him, when you have Kyrie out there with him, that's another guy that can space the floor, and it's going to draw more defenders away, and it's going to maybe even open up things even more for Jr. Because, and I, I've, I could see a scenario where if you have Shumpert in there, yeah, he's probably going to play better defense, but he's not as good of a shooter. He's not horrible, but he's no, not as good not. of a, a shooter as as Jr. As, can be. As Jr. can be. Jr. so it's, streaky though; it's hard to. Well, hard yeah, to really but if you're looking that, at a lineup with with LeBron and Love and Kyrie out there, you're going to be trying to funnel as many shots over to the other guys, whether it's Timo or it's whoever the shooting guard is. How crazy! And, that's that's a pretty. I don't know. I feel like that might almost be a scarier perimeter shooting threesome if you're if you're looking at Kyrie Kyrie Jr. and Kevin Love the way that they can space out the floor with all those guys is pretty pretty incredible I think and it'll be interesting to see if they can take advantage of it obviously that's going to be contingent on Jr. hitting those open shots which he's shown at times isn't yeah. necessarily a given but you know that he's capable of it. So yeah. I think it, it. I think having those, if you can get those three guys on the floor at the same time and run effectively where they're all shooting well, mm-hmm. LeBron's job becomes insanely easy because all of a sudden the paint is wide open. Yeah. So, But I, you I still got to do it. You do. In and... theory, it's great, but... In the meantime, what I want to see out of them is getting back to moving the ball a little bit better on offense. I think if you looked at the assist numbers through the first few weeks, they were astronomical, and they've come down quite a bit over the last two or three games. 
Yeah. So they got they're they're getting into some bad habits. So hopefully with these next couple of games, you got Milwaukee. I think you got Atlanta on Saturday night. Uh, that'll be another nice little regular season test for them. Hopefully they can get back to moving the ball and and uh, we'll see. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, we are just about past fifty five minutes here. I think so. Probably a good point to wrap up for the week. Any uh, parting shots? No, I'm. Uh, I'll be at the Cavs game tomorrow night, so hopefully they uh, give me some entertainment, and then uh, go Bucks on Saturday. Yeah, and you uh, you're heading down to Columbus. I will be down in Columbus. Yeah, I'm heading down Friday. Uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me at Eddie George's Bar and Grill, 27. Okay, I'll be hanging and banging with Eddie. <laughs> Should be a good time. There you go. You can't beat that with a stick. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, excellent. Have fun um, on all your adventures. I'm sure you'll have some good stories for us next week on the pod. No question. Yeah. All right, so uh, everybody out there listening, a reminder, you can always subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher. I've got links for both of those in the description for this episode. Individual episodes can always be found on nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. And for Travis Uli, I am Tom Valentino. And we will talk to you again next week. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.